Welcome to the Vineyard. We're happy that you're here this morning uh, worshiping with us. I want to greet you if you're with us for the first time. My name is Parker. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, a few weeks back, I had kind of an eye-opening encounter with someone actually standing in line to buy a coffee. And so I'm standing in line to buy a coffee, and I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to, to turn around and offer to buy the woman's coffee who was in line behind me. And so, you know, she was appreciative, and we just talked for a minute about her life, and I shared a little bit about who I am. And it was really kind of a, a non-event. Um, and, and we both went our separate ways. I'm sure I'll see her again. We frequent the same coffee shop. Um, there was really nothing profound about that interaction. But what was profound about what happened there was the fact that um, later that evening, I was kind of reflecting on my day, and I realized something. I realized that when I asked that woman if I could buy her coffee, that was the first time that I had done that in about two and a half years. And that might not sound significant, but this is something that I used to be in a regular habit of doing. It was one of the main ways that I connected with strangers as an introvert. Uh, it's terrifying to me to talk to strangers, but it's an easy on-ramp to buy somebody's coffee who's in line behind you, and you strike up a little conversation, and you make a little connection, and, and sometimes it's meaningful, and I've had some powerful prayer encounters that started that way, and, and so as I was reflecting, the Holy Spirit pointed out to me, he said, you know, you used to do this all the time, and you haven't really been watching for opportunities. You haven't been listening for, for my prompting uh, to do things like this. And as I reflected further on maybe what might be at the root of that, I started to recognize some patterns in my life. I actually realized that I've been less generous in my day-to-day -day life uh, than, than I think Jesus would have me be uh, for a long time. And so, you know, I, I reflected on that, I repented for that, and I realized that I had kind of had a, a little bit of a scarcity mindset, that I had failed to trust God for some of the smaller things in my life, and that, you know, for me, generosity had started to almost fall into the bucket of, like, planned generosity it was the only time that I was generous. If it fit into the budget, if it was a budget line item, then I could be generous. But if it wasn't, I wasn't watching for opportunities to do this kingdom work of extending generosity to my neighbors. And, you know, the reality of the situation that we are all in is that we're experiencing, you know, the fallout of a global pandemic, global supply chain issues, rising interest rates, inflation, economists. You know, I just heard this, this conversation between a few economists on the radio the other day, and they were debating whether or not the world economy is slipping into what they would classify as recession. Now, we don't often talk about the news or current events and our talks here, but I think that the, the situation that the world is in calls for a, a return to a generous mindset, the generous mindset that Jesus calls us to because it's countercultural. It flies in the face of everything that's going on around us. And I want to give you a little disclaimer because I feel like I should. We don't talk about money a lot here. I looked back through the archives, and it's been about two and a half years since we even talked about money here at the Vineyard. And honestly, as the, the cynic of cynics, most of the time, when pastors talk about money, I usually turn away. 
because so many people have been taken advantage of financially in the name of Jesus. And I think that we can all agree that that's atrocious, that's sin, and it's something that should be repented of. However, the Bible is full of advice and wisdom from Jesus himself about wise living and wise living with everything that God has given us. And so in light of this, this experience that I had with the woman in the coffee shop and everything that I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying after that, uh, I had a conversation with John and we felt like, you know, one of these open weeks between series was a good time to just kind of focus on one of the hard sayings of Jesus about money. So the reason that we gather here on Sunday mornings is because we want to be more like Jesus. Am I right? Hopefully that's why you're here. It's because we want to be more like Jesus. And one of the most powerful tools that can make space in our lives for the Spirit to, to form us in the image of Christ uh, is by engaging with spiritual practices. Spiritual practices, or some people might call them spiritual disciplines. And one of the classical spiritual practices is generosity that the Christians have been practicing since the, the dawn of followership of Jesus. And, and so what I want to do is I want to propose that we think about generosity through the lens of a spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline this morning. So what I'm not going to do, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give one-size-fits-all suggestions about what you must do with your personal finances or with your resources or with your budget. I'm not going to give you practical how-to tips about kingdom ways to manage money. I'm not going to exegete scriptures in a way that makes it seem like the Bible gives uh, a one-size-fits-all recommendation for how every single person should uh, manage their, their household finances or their resources. But what we want to do is just stare into one of the hard sayings of Jesus and see what the Spirit might be saying to us about it this morning for our families and, and for our community. And I want to say this. The reason that we're talking about this isn't because, uh, you know, we need to like stir up more revenue for the church or anything like that. We're talking about a lifestyle of generosity. And so, you know, if, if the outcome of that is like giving more to this church, wonderful. But I have a feeling that what it looks like for us to walk in generosity in our day-to-day -day is much more holistic and, and much more of a mindset shift than, than just writing a bigger check on Sunday mornings. Does that make sense? Okay. So, you know, I, be, be nice to me this morning because I, I honestly experienced a lot of, like, turmoil this week as I thought about this, as I prepared this, because, you know, there, sometimes the things that Jesus says, they speak to things that we like to do or that we want to do. And then sometimes the things that Jesus says, they, they provoke something inside of us that's going in another direction. And I encountered that a lot this week. I mean, when I was looking at this material, when I was reading, when I was preparing, it, it shone a light on some things inside of me that were not rightly ordered. And so I just want to submit that to you and just say, you know, if this comes across as a little scattered, it's because I was doing a lot of personal wrestling as I was preparing this talk. So, in light of all that, the hopeful word for today is this, that Jesus is making all things new. 
Jesus is making all things new. That's the promise that we have from the word. That's the promise that we have from Jesus himself, that he is going to make all things new. He's making new heaven. He's making new earth. He's making new Oxford. He's making the blind see. He's making uh, the poor and hungry well cared for. He is, he's bringing about a reality where work is not full of toil or turmoil, but it's full of fulfillment because it's, it's what we're called to do as human beings. So if you have your devices, I want to take a look at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. 13 to 21. Does anyone have a physical Bible? I'm just curious. Two, three, four, five. Oh, wow. Lots of, okay, awesome. Very cool. Well, those of you who don't have devices, you can turn, turn your Bibles to, to Luke 12. But in this passage, Jesus is teaching a crowd, um, and, and he's, he's kind of addressing this mass of people. And someone calls out from the crowd, and they ask Jesus to, to help. Uh, this man asks him, Jesus to help him and his brother divide an inheritance fairly. And so he, he kind of shouts this question out, and this is sort of the, the cultural context that we're in for Jesus' teaching, right, is that people would just call out questions, and Jesus would address them. And so Jesus says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So Jesus often speaks these, these sayings that really cut to the heart of our affections as people, right? Because immediately when I read this, all these objections start to rise up in my mind. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? What are you saying about leaving an inheritance for my kids? What are you saying about investing wisely? What are you saying about, you know, having, having, having so that I can advance the kingdom and having so that I can do good in the community, right? And, and, and I start to come up with all these things that make me uncomfortable about what he has said here. So in other words, Jesus is saying, be careful. Greed is a liar, and it will trick you into thinking that life is about what you can get. And, and, and then he says, by divesting from the ways that the world thinks about wealth and even our own comfort, we can invest in the idea of all things being made new. I want to pause here because this is a scripture that's often abused when we talk about money. When I say divesting from the way that the world thinks about managing wealth and investing and advancing the kingdom... What I mean is not empty your savings account and give it to the church. Okay? That's not what I mean. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is far more at the core of who we are. It has to do with 
with where our attention lies, with where our affections lie, with what it is that our heart longs for. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And, and so he goes on a few verses later. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now throughout the, t- the teachings of Jesus, he uses hyperbole often. This is not hyperbole. Jesus will say things that are intentionally extreme to provoke a, a response from the people he's talking to or to, to poke a cultural issue right in the eyes. But when Jesus clearly calls people to a life of simplicity and generosity in this passage, it's a genuine call. It's a genuine call. And this is heavy. This is heavy stuff because the pace of our society, the pace of our lives, the concerns of our lives often demand something else of us. But I think Jesus here, his intent is to gently call us into the Jesus way of life. He says, don't be afraid. The kingdom is already yours. Live into the reality of the coming kingdom by giving to those in need. Notice he he singles out people in need, not organizations soliciting donations who are already thriving, right? Not buying from the cool, trendy, uh, you know, shoe company that gives away a pair of shoes for every pair of shoes that you buy because, you know, I got a new pair of shoes, but somebody else also got a new pair of shoes, so I kind of gave to the poor. No, you didn't, right? Jesus is, is calling us to a, a radically countercultural way of life and what he's saying here. And I think that this is what makes this teaching so difficult is that, you know, by living into the reality of the coming kingdom. Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And as I reflected and meditated on that phrase this week, I I felt like I gained some new insight. Because for a long time, I've honestly thought about that, and I thought, okay, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying to tithe. Because, uh, you know, if my treasure is in my bank account, that's where my heart is. And if I give my treasure to to, to his church then, you know, that's, that's where my heart will be. But let's dig a little deeper into what he's saying, because I think that Jesus is actually saying something really complex about the spiritual realities around us if we have uh, the eyes to see it in this case. So Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So if your treasure is invested in an earthly thing, your heart and your effort and your affections are in that thing too. If your treasure is invested in corrupt institutions and corporations that take advantage of people, your heart and your affections will be there also. Do you see the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying? He's saying where you put your treasure, there are spiritual powers and principalities over over these things, over these locales. And so when our treasure is there, we are, we are rending our heart to that thing, so to speak. 
And so, so he's saying, if your treasure is in an earthly closet, right? Think about the parable of the talents. If your treasure is buried in the ground, guess where your desires, your affections, your emotions, your will, where will those things be? They'll be buried in the ground. And so I think this teaching is so hard because Jesus is saying that our hearts, our desires, our conviction will follow our money. And in the age that we're living in, that brings up so many challenges to the way that we live our lives. Can you feel the heaviness in that? Even as we say that, like, I can think of so many ways that, that my treasure is entangled with these other spiritual powers and principalities. And so it's a, it's a call to live rightly in the face of that and to really seek the Holy Spirit to order our lives and order the way that we manage everything that he's given us to steward. The ultimate temptation here is to believe that we can resist greed's pull on us. You know, that we can, we can put a little bit of treasure here, but it's not going to affect us on a deeper level. That we can, we can you know, save back maybe a little bit more than we need, and, you know, there, that's, that's fine. That's going to be okay, right? But what Jesus is saying is to examine this closely. Again, I'm not making any prescriptive suggestions to you about what you must do or what you should do. All I'm saying is that, you know, we, we need to stare this directly in the face and, and let the Spirit work inside of us in, in terms of uh, integrating this teaching of Jesus into our lives. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, John Mark Comer says this, There's a reason the only other God that Jesus called out by name was Mammon, the God of money, because it's a bad God and a lousy religion. It's a bad God and a lousy religion. You guys know this, that when Jesus is speaking throughout the Gospels and he addresses Mammon, Mammon is, that, is an actual spiritual entity in the ancient world that was believed to be the God of money, the God of greed, more appropriately. And Jesus warns against this specifically time and again. There were many pagan religions existing at the time. There were many other gods that people worshipped and people sacrificed to, but this was the one that Jesus saw it fit to call out by name because it's so sinister, it's so seductive in the way that we carry ourselves. And so I want to just briefly look at three areas where we're being formed with regards to money uh, that I think we need to be aware of. And in a lot of cases, we need to actively resist these things in order to live in alignment with Jesus' teaching about money. So these three things are just three things that uh, that came to my mind as I was studying and, and contemplating this week. They're not, you know, it's, it's not a scriptural list of three things that I can give you a, a Bible address for. They're just three things that, that I felt like really stood out prominently in terms of uh, what we do with what we have. And so the first one is our upbringing. It's what we would maybe sometimes call our first formation. So we were all taught to view money and possessions in a certain way, uh, by our parents or our caregivers when we were growing up. And regardless of how old you are, that's still affecting you. It just is, because there's, there's, it's such a, a complex web of things that form us and make us who we are 
over time. And so maybe you grew up in a family that you know, was uh, in the middle class and wasn't extravagant, but always had plenty. Um, maybe you, you know, your family struggled when you were young, and you might have even experienced homelessness. Maybe you even had to work through your teenage years to support many siblings or a single parent. You might have grown up wealthy and eaten in expensive restaurants and your parents drove a nice car. It's entirely possible. Wherever we fall on this income spectrum, our upbringing formed our attitudes toward money. And where something other than Jesus is forming our attitudes toward money, it's possible that they could be disordered. And some of these things are so deeply ingrained in us that they've become pre-conscious. And so you hear me talking about these things and, and you know, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I have any of those things in my life, but they could actually be the operating system for the way that you think about your resources. And I want to talk about two of those things really briefly. So the first one is scarcity. And scarcity says this. It says, I, I won't have enough, so I must hold on to everything. Wealthy people and people who have less can experience scarcity. Scarcity does not discriminate based on your annual take-home income. Scarcity to a person who has less might work itself out in habits like hoarding, where in your mind you think, I will never have this thing again. I will never have another opportunity to own one of these. I will never have enough. And so you hold on to everything. Or if you're a wealthy person, scarcity could work itself out like this. It could say, you know, I have enough right now, but, but nothing, you know, nothing is guaranteed. And so I need to pack away and hoard as much wealth and as many resources as possible because the day may come when, when I don't have enough. So that's scarcity. Proverbs 11.25, I love this. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Sometimes we can get confused about generosity and forget that it's about people. Generosity is about people. It's, we're talking about being generous one to another as a way of living, the way that Jesus was. Now, you know, give, give to worthy causes. Give to charities, give to churches, whatever. That's wonderful. But interpersonal generosity, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And so I think there's an invitation from the Spirit in that, in that scripture to be looking for opportunities to refresh others, so to speak, because refreshing will come to your spirit through that. The other pitfall in our, in our first formation is extravagance. And extravagance doesn't consider limits, and it doesn't know how to say enough is enough. And so that could, that could happen, again, to anyone on this, this spectrum of income. You know, extravagance for a wealthy person, we can imagine what that might look like, right? They're living in a mansion, and they have many fancy cars, and they wear the most expensive clothes, right? That's the picture that we have of extravagance. But extravagance also can work itself out in, in people who don't have as much. I have caught myself in patterns of extravagance, and my income is not extravagant. But 
I have caught myself not understanding when enough is enough. When enough clothing is enough clothing. When enough food is enough food, right? That's extravagance. And it's something that we have to, uh, to, to really, you know, look these sayings of Jesus in the face again and let the Spirit work from inside of us to, to get that mindset and get that mentality out of our lives. So extravagance. The second area that I think we need to actively resist in terms of letting Jesus form the way that we think about money is culture. It's our culture. You know, the sayings of Jesus that have to do with wealth and possessions are the hardest ones for us to live into because of the fact that our culture is so informed by greed and consumerism. And, and I, you know, I could go on for days about this. This section of my talk was very bloated last night, and I had to <laughs> do a lot of trimming. But, you know, I was recently reading a really interesting biography about one of the wealthiest people to ever live. It's called Titan by a guy named Ron Chernow. It's, by, it's about John D. Rockefeller. And um, the, this oil magnate, John Rockefeller, his net worth adjusted for inflation was around $400 billion dollars. So just to put this in perspective, that's about three times the Jeff Bezos hoard, the Amazon guy. That's about three times the amount of wealth that that guy has. And, and uh, it was interesting, around the turn of the 20th century, when Rockefeller's empire was on a serious incline, um, a reporter asked him, how much money is enough? John Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his answer, does anyone know his answer? Just a little bit more. That's in the fabric of our society. That's in the fabric of our culture. In the wake of the September 11th attacks in 2001, George Bush gave a speech in which he warned against terrorists frightening the nation to the point where people don't shop. That was one of his main concerns. There's a French sociologist, I, I was honestly just forced to read his writing in seminary, um, but his name is, is Jean Baudrillard, and he argued in his writing that consumerism and the desire for more was replacing Christianity as an ordering principle in the world, which basically means that um, shopping and owning more things is actually what gives the world a shared sense of meaning more than any other philosophy or idea, or religious practice. He wrote that in the 40s. Imagine what he'd think now, right? And, and so, you know, our wider culture, it begs us to spend indiscriminately on gadgets, on fast fashion, on fast food, but Jesus shows us a better way to live simply and give generously. That's what he has to say, to live simply and to give generously. And so we must partner with the Spirit to learn to, to delineate between needs and wants. A very important distinction that has kind of been lost to time, right? I read a, an interesting survey recently that said upwards of 80% of Americans believe that home internet is an essential need for all people. Now, many of our jobs demand that we have home internet, and I understand where that sentiment is coming from. 
But isn't that interesting? That we live in an age when the overwhelming majority of people would consider home internet to be one of the most crucial things needed for survival. Add it to the list, food, water, shelter, home internet. <laughs> and the third thing, and probably the hardest one to, to resist or to do anything about, is our circumstances and our habits. We have the most control and we have the least control <laughs> all at once, right? And the question that I'm often asking myself when it comes to money and possessions is what is the highest good for myself, for my family, or for those I care for the most? And I'm, I'm trying more often to be asking myself the question, what is the most faithful way to steward what God has given me as if it were not even mine? There's just a slight difference. There's a slight difference between the two questions. But one of them is geared toward self-preservation and one of them is geared toward a lifestyle of generosity and simplicity led by the Spirit. You know, one purchase here, another uh, subscription, clothes, some junk for my golf bag. All of a sudden, I have traded a life of generosity and simplicity for crap. And that is even the effect if, if, if the, the budget line item is small. Because the cost of a thing goes way beyond the cost of the purchase. There's the cost of storing the thing, the cost of cleaning the thing, tuning the thing, maintaining the thing, improving the thing, replacing the thing. You know, we're convinced that when the thing breaks that we didn't even need, we need a new one. The psychological cost of looking at the thing. Have you ever just looked around your basement and said, I know this might hit a little too close to home. Have you ever just looked around your basement and thought, oh, I don't need all this stuff? Have you ever been there? Yeah, there's a cost that goes beyond what it costs us to purchase something. Can you see now, returning to this idea that where your treasure is, your heart will be also, how our emotions, our will, and our desires can quickly follow where our treasure is? They quickly follow where our treasure is. So, short talk today. You might feel like I've presented a lot of problems this morning without many solutions. Um, you're right. Part of the reason is that when we start to, and I, I kind of mentioned this, but when we start to venture into the, uh, the realm of, you know, prescribing like one-size-fits-all answers for what it looks like to honor Jesus with what we have, we, we make suggestions that might be inappropriate for some people. You know, we make suggestions that might even be outside of our assignment in terms of what to do with, with the wealth that Jesus has given us or has not given us. I believe that everything that Jesus said about money has to do with freedom. And this is what I hope we take away today, more than anything, more than a tip or a trick. Everything Jesus said about money has to do with freedom. The great Christian thinker, Thomas Aquinas, 
who lived in the 13th century. Old, funny-looking guy. Wrote some kind of problematic stuff, but he also wrote some good stuff. Um, he contrasted the vice of greed with the virtue of generosity. So Thomas Aquinas wrote a lot about the seven deadly sins, right? You hear people talk about the seven deadly sins or actually what's more appropriately called the seven capital vices, but we can talk about that another time. He, he wrote about greed and he contrasted it with generosity and when he wrote about generosity really extensively for hundreds and hundreds of pages, um, he used the, the Latin name for generosity because he was writing in Latin. And the Latin name for generosity is liberality. It's the same Latin root where we get the English word liberty. And so that should give us a hint about what generosity is about. Generosity has to do with freedom. See, a lot of people think that the more I have, the better off I am. But the truth is that generosity makes us free. Living lifestyles of generosity makes us free. Uh, it has to do with freedom from attachment to things, and it has to do with freedom from the promise of the things that money can buy when we truly embrace it. In Thomas Aquinas' thinking, the generous person's free and open attitude contrasts with the greedy person's preoccupation with possessions and their white-knuckle grip on money as mine. When he talks about generosity, he's talking about the fact that regardless of how much money we make or how much we have in the bank or what our pool of resources is like, greed will sneak in without a doubt and it will cause us to start thinking about our resources as ours. And generosity is an invitation to start to think about our resources as God's and truly stewarding something that God has given to us. Um, in her book, Glittering Vices, Rebecca DeYoung puts it like this. She says, the test of generosity is whether you find giving things away easy and enjoyable. And <laughs> I'll be honest, that's not necessarily the case for me. And, and I suspect that many of us wrestle with that. But even, even when the Holy Spirit prompted me to buy that woman's coffee last week, I had a moment where I was like, and she, and you know, I got to tell you, she ordered kind of an expensive drink. You know, she was like, she was like, oh yeah, let me get this with an extra shot of this and a few pumps of this and that and, and oat milk. And I was like, oh geez, okay. Right, exactly. And so I was like, okay, Lord. And, and it just, it, it, gave me, it gave me a minute to reflect on this. I had this quote. I had just written this in my notes like 15 minutes beforehand, like right before I went up to get a refill, you know? And so, I mean, I was like, wow, this isn't enjoyable. Help me, God. Like, I'm not enjoying this woman's order right now, you know? And, and, and uh, seriously, like, I had to reflect and take a minute because I was faced with the very thing that I had just put down on the page. So it's a hard word. This is a hard word that Jesus gives about generosity, about money. And, and I know that, you know, some of us are in a situation where we're like, I don't even know, you know, I, I'm living paycheck to paycheck right now. And you're talking about generosity. What, 
how do I do this? How do I practice this? And to that I would say, you know, money isn't our only resource. Money isn't our only resource. I love to talk about STEAM in our alumni discipleship program. There are a few chuckles out there because a few of you have taken it, but STEAM, skills, time, energy, attention, money. Those are our resources. And so Jesus is talking about what we do with our money, but he's also talking about what we do with our STEAM. I always like to say that STEAM could be rearranged meats, but we like to avoid putting money first. So STEAM, skills, time, energy, attention, money. What is God asking you to do with it? What is God asking you to do with it? What does it look like for us to be the most radically generous church in the city of Oxford? Not only would we be known as a generous church, as a generous organization, but we would have a reputation as individuals who are in this church as being the most radically generous people in the city of Oxford. And when you say to somebody, oh, I go to the vineyard, their immediate first thought is, wow, the vineyard gives away a lot. The vineyard gives away a lot of themselves, a lot of their time, a lot of their skills. What would it look like for us to be known as a radically generous church in the city? That's a huge part of our mission statement, training passionate lovers of Jesus to walk daily in the power, presence, and love of the Holy Spirit. Generosity is a huge part of that, giving away everything we've been given from God to steward for him. We've got to be on the lookout for where he wants, to give it, where, where he wants us to give it away. So to close, I want to leave you with three questions to write down and consider this week. So get out your phones, get out your notebooks, your journals, whatever. I'm not seeing enough phones. I'm not seeing enough notebooks. This is your homework. Everybody ready? Okay. All right, here we go. Three questions for you to reflect on uh, with the Holy Spirit this week. Journal about them contemplate, you know, just take some time with these. Number one, how am I stewarding what I have in a way that demonstrates God's provision for me? Yep, I'll read it again, that's okay. How am I stewarding what I have in a way that demonstrates God's provision for me? So do you see how that counts regardless of... <laughs> how much money you have or how much, yeah? Whatever it is that you have, how am I stewarding what I have in a way that demonstrates God's provision for me? The second question, and we'll leave these up here for a minute when I pray and when the worship team comes up so that you have time to write them down. What would it look like for me to divest from the world's way of doing things and instead be rich toward God? That's the phrase that, Jesus uses. Rich is always rich toward God. I'm a dad now. I'm allowed to make dad jokes from the stage. Everybody laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Rich, because that's his name. Um, what would it look like for me to divest from the world's way of doing things and instead be rich toward God? And then the third question, how might God be inviting me to live simply so that others can flourish? How might God be inviting me to live simply 
so others can flourish. So worship team, come on back up, and I want to pray for us as we go into worship. Is everybody okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't need anything for my ego. I just want to make sure that everybody's all right. Okay, let me pray for us. So, Father, we thank you for every ounce of everything that you've given us, Lord, whether it's, uh, whether it's financial wealth, whether it's the skills that we've learned over time, whether it's our time. Maybe we're recently retired and trying to figure out what we're going to do. Our energy, Lord, our physical health, our attention, our attention span, what we give our attention to, and our money. Lord, we thank you for, for everything that we have through you and by you. And Father, I ask that, that this vision of being a generous church in the city uh, would be one that you give us strategies and wisdom and insight to implement on a, on a personal level and on a church level, on a strategic level. God, we love uh, we love you, we love your wisdom, and, and so, Father, we ask for it right now in Jesus' name. And God, we ask that you would be showing us opportunities to live simply, the way Jesus lived simply. That where there's excess in our lives, where, where, we, where we have too much, where we're buying too much, where we're spending too much, where we're holding on to too much, we just invite you to put a finger on that, as hard as it might be for us to hear, so that we can be faithful to your way of living. In Jesus' name, amen.